continued his run here. He's still going. He got the shot in as well, and he scored. A dream start at Ibrox, thanks to Philip Neville. Phil Neville, it's three. It's raining goals at Old Trafford. Phil Neville's going to go for goal. Philip Neville, what a strike! They're rarities goals from Phil Neville, but what a strike to stun Schwarzer. Going on through the centre, Cole sharing him now. Philip Neville looking for his first goal for Manchester United. He's got it. What is Phil Neville doing up there? Still Phil Neville, and still, oh my word! Phil Neville's fourth goal for Manchester United will certainly be in his record books. What a strike! His first in the Premiership at Old Trafford. He and everyone else will remember that. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester United podcast. I'm Helen Evans. Joining me are Sam and Maisie. How are we both? Oh, good. Hello. Very good. How are you? Yes, very good. Thank you. Good week, both of you. Sam, I must I must mention you uh, stepped on a nail. Yep. And you had a tetanus. Yep. Straight through my uh, trainer, straight into the old foot. Through your trainer? Yeah, second time I've done that in my life as an adult. Oh my goodness. This is just fabulous content, but tell us more. Yeah. Uh, I was breaking up. Uh, I had an old sort of crate that I'd uh, made a little allotment with in my garden that I was growing vegetables in. And then I was breaking that up because it got a bit old. And as I was smashing it up, I also decided to stand on it to make it easier to break. But what I decided to stand on was, in fact, a massive rusty nail. Oh, oh my goodness. You ever done something like that, Maisie? Yeah, all the time as a kid. Not a problem. Just get on with it. You can have a tetanus. (laughs) Well, I had to. I... it's not the best time to be going to the doctors and stuff, is it? But oh. didn't want to die. I hope you're feeling better soon, Sam. Oh, um, yeah, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. Guys, another um, member of the 92 era, which I'm delighted to say today. Yes. Very Phil exciting. Neville. How cool is that? Philip Neville buzzing. Also, so everyone is aware, we're recording this very early in the morning. It's really not early. It's not really it's, early. It's really not early. We got up early. I had to set my alarm for eight o'clock. It feels early. I have been up since ten past five. I was up with Eli. We don't have children. Yeah. So? So we sleep until 10. Yeah. Even before I had children, this is not early. No, it's Maybe. not. Absolutely, Hells. Absolutely. See? Not early. It's early. Early for lazy people. Well, it feels early. There's it's not that much that I've had to get up for during during the last three months. So this has felt early. But Phil Neville tried to join the conversation. 40 minutes early. Yeah, but they're known for early bird, being early birds, aren't they? Yeah. Phil and Gary. They're just co- coming from running a marathon, probably. Yeah, exactly. He's probably been out in like a 15-mile run. <laughs> Him Keeps and Harvey. himself fit. Yeah. Um, Maisie, obviously somebody that you know very well. Great lad. Lovely lad. Fantastic player. Did ever so well with United. Um, part of 92, as, as, we, as we all know. Class 92. And uh, top guy. Really looking forward to it because... Um, where he is now as England's ladies' manager, um, I'm sure he's got some great stories. Great career. I would also imagine that you might not be too serious in this podcast. Why'd you say that? I don't know. I just, I've heard stories between you and Phil, which obviously we'll be bringing up. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Phil has some lots of stories about you. Yeah. And you have lots of stories about him, so I'm looking forward to it oh, yeah. that aspect. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. So here he is, Phil Neville. Whose idea was it? Nine o'clock? Was it you, Ellen? Yes. I know you're an early riser. They've all, they've all been complaining that it's too early. Perfect, amazing. What are their headphones, Ellen? Have you, have no, you listen. I mean, are they Dora the Explorer ones? I can't get my AirPods to work. I'm not doing it with their headphones on. Sing it. Oh, no. 
This is, can I not do it just on the computer, Tasker? Nope. <laughs> oh. That's great, crap. I love that. That's not a good look. Are you okay, Phil? Good, how are you? Yes, good, thank you. All right, David. Hi, Phil. You okay, Phil? 50th last week, was it? A couple it of weeks was, ago? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, big 5-0. Did you get did, did you get my message? Oh, yeah, I did, yeah. I did, mate, yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, mate. Are you good? I'm good, yeah, mate. Good. All How's Harvey doing? Are the bad, bad start, training now, aren't they? Two days ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's enjoying it. They're at Littleton Road. Are they? Yeah. Try and keep all your answers short, Phil, if you can, because I'm golfing at half ten. So. <laughs> How long is it, this? How long uh, is it? You've got an hour and a half to get everything in. Wow. I know, you've got you've got a life of everything. That's it's the thing. Life, yeah, I've had a good yeah. life. <laughs> we might have to come back. <laughs> right, okay, uh, I'm recording. It's like everybody else is. Everybody happy? Everyone recording on their own? Really? No, I'm not. They look great. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. They're not very nice, Ellen. They're headphones, Ellen. Come on, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take a picture. Oh, this is going out to millions of people. I'm gonna take a picture of them. <laughs> Please, someone help me. There must be something somebody can do. Honestly, <laughs> what make are they, Ellen? What make are they? Seriously? They're not even a make. They're airport specials. <laughs> airport specials. Are they monarch? Are they are they Aer Lingus? Chaos. They're called. Okay, yes, okay. That, that famous one. Do you want to explain why you're wearing them, Helen? <laughs> right, I do have AirPods, right? But I can't get them connected and I don't have my earphones. So I've had to use, I, I don't even want to talk about it. It's so embarrassing. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yes, these are Lottie's earphones. They're not a good look. You could give a warning to people because the reason you can't get connected is because you put a case on them so they don't get broken. I got this case, case and I can't, I can't get them. it off to actually press the button. <laughs> anyway are you seriously going to wear them during the interview I no. am I know I know wow. if it wow. puts you off I can hide my camera <laughs> <laughs> turn it around the other way you know but, but if there are if there are any companies out there that have really good top earphones then we will we are willing you know yeah. yes. do, do yes. you know what maybe maybe this will lead to some people sending us some free earphones may I say that's what I'm saying absolutely yeah because yours aren't hey. the best either hey. <laughs> for the benefit of those that are just listening that aren't watching, how would you describe Helen's headphones? What, me? Yeah. Only one way to describe them, isn't there? Well, I mean, I've got to say, they, they do look like a three-year-old's or, or one that you get on a, <laughs> on a on a Monarch flight, you know, when you're on them, them cheap little headphones on a Monarch flight. You know, she's popped over to Ireland to see the family and she's, she's nicked the headphones off the... Uh, and they'll, they, they'll do for me. Oh, dear. You want to see the cassette that goes with it as well? <laughs> <laughs> Is this about football, this interview, by the way? Yeah, eventually. Yeah. Just putting the world to rights. Okay. Phil Neville, thank you so much for joining us on the United Podcast. And thank you for joining us so early so that Maisie can come and play golf. Yeah. Well, I Cheers, think, I think, I think uh, it's, it's all about Maisie, isn't it, to be fair? Well, hold on. You try, you try coming in at 10 past eight. Have you got nothing better Me? to do? Yeah. No, I've got to say, uh, I was a bit worried about my Zoom, so I was just I was just pre-wrecking, you know what I mean? It's a bit of, a bit of pre-wrecking, Maisie, prepping, you know what I mean? I'm again. a bit busy, I'm a bit busy, you know? Love that, though, <laughs> being prepared. Uh, Phil, how's your lockdown been? That's about where we should start, because it's been such a weird time for everybody for the last sort of three, four months. Yeah, it's been weird, but I've got to say, apart from obviously the things that have been going on around the world with uh, some of the horrific events, I've, I've actually really enjoyed time at home and spending time with the the kids and the family, which I never get to do. So obviously taking a positive out of something that's been so horrific, something that we'd never thought would happen in our lifetime. And uh, I think it's only now that we're beginning to probably come out of it. But I've got to say, I've been out and about the last couple of weeks and still doesn't feel normal. Just still doesn't feel right. I've been to a Premier League game, was at the FA Cup semi-final and uh, 
still doesn't feel right. You know what what's happening in the world? People are nervous and anxious, and there's no supporters in the stadium. And uh, uh, I think it'll take us a while to get used to the new norm, really. But I've enjoyed the family time. How have they got on with you, Phil? Have they enjoyed it? <laughs> because I could imagine it being an absolute nightmare being in your house. They were like, "When's this getting over?" So Phil can get out the house. Yeah. Well, I think I think we were just talking last night that at the first three weeks I put us on like a boot camp and I think I think I burnt everybody out <laughs> we, had, we had we had hit sessions in the garden and uh, my daughter said it was horrific probably the worst part of the lockdown because she, she she got so tired so uh, we, we've had a laugh to be fair we've had a laugh we, we've watched some good series we've, we've watched some good series on Netflix and stuff anything you'd recommend? well to, to be fair the highlight was actually seeing Ellen and Johnny walking the kids every, every day past yeah, our no. house and uh, we the first chat we had, Ellen, wasn't it, in lockdown about three weeks into the lockdown. So, uh, I know. No, the, the Netflix, I suppose the Jordan one was probably the best one, Last mm. Dance. Yeah. Money Heist was the one that we got into as a family. We watched the, the, the Money Heist, the series. So, been watching the things on, on Amazon Prime, you know, like the, the Man City one, the Leeds one, the Sergio Ramos one I've watched. So, it's been good. It's been good. I think everybody's now waiting for the Spurs one. <laughs> yeah. All sports. Yeah. They, they, they actually... The best one was actually a cricket one called The Test. I don't know if you've watched that yeah, one. Yeah, I've seen people tweeting about this and I was thinking I must watch that. Like, I have to say, I'm not a massive cricket fan, but it's meant to be incredible. Yeah, and, and you know, like, if you watch it on your iPad, you can wear them headphones, you know, and it'd be really good, you know. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good series. It's obviously following the Australian cricket team when they came over and uh, <laughs> Justin Langer is someone that uh, I admire. So it was a good series. Do you, uh, do you listen to any podcasts? There's one I've been listening to. I listened to one, uh, High Performance with Jay Humphrey. Uh, they had Ollie on the other day and uh, I've listened to Pochettino. My sister did it. Uh, there's actually one coming out. I, I actually took part in one. So that, that's probably the best podcast I've listened to probably. Give that one a miss, son. <laughs> <laughs> Just before bed, Maisie, that one. You know? <laughs> Have you listened to the Manchester United podcast though, Phil? Uh, yeah, that, that every day I listen to that on my run or something. I listen to that and uh, no, I really, it's <laughs> Really funny. I've been I've been watching obviously the MUTV ones you've been doing with the guys. Gigs he's been on and his skulls he obviously has been on. That uh, they've been really funny. Uh, Phil, let's go back to the start. Your childhood, obviously a childhood we know with lots of sport with your brother and sister, and a very happy childhood, I'm sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was. Looking back, obviously the happiest days of my life when we were. My mum and dad were into sports. They played cricket and netball around us. So we spent every day of the week just out on the fields playing, playing sports and and getting involved in sports. We saw that as a big part of our lives. And uh, you know, I think it's something that kids, even nowadays, sometimes they're not allowed to play as many sports as what we were back in the day. But every night of the week, we were at cricket, we were at football, and we we're encouraged to to do that. And I think that had a big big influence on on the way that we was brought up are there do you think any is there a more successful set of sporting siblings that this country has produced yeah i think the child is obviously it's poignant this week with obviously jack passing away and the brownlee the yeah. brownlee brothers are obviously really successful brothers, yeah. i think there's a there's a couple of brothers playing cricket for england at this moment in time so i think there's a there's many, there's many out there yeah but you've got three you've got yes yeah, so i mean there's three, three of you which yeah. is, is amazing especially the the, even even beyond just your playing days, because obviously Tracy's uh, coaching or was coaching yeah. the England netball team and won the Commonwealth gold. And then obviously you were the England women's team and Phil at Valencia and has worked with England. Uh, Gary even yeah. has worked with England. And So you think even beyond just playing? No, uh, not really. I mean, to, to, to be fair, uh, 
I suppose if you if you if you looked at the Charltons, they they were probably the most uh, that they were the pinnacle. They were the ones that we always tried to aspire to be like. I remember my dad saying when we first played for England, my dad said uh, somebody said, "Oh, you're the new Charltons," and, and my dad hated that comparison because they were my dad's heroes. Bobby was was the legend, probably the greatest player that's ever played for United. So uh, we we did drove each other on. Uh, you know, even now we help each other in any in anything that we're doing and. Uh, you know, people probably forget the achievements that Tracy probably has made has probably been far greater than me and Gary, even though it's probably not been as well publicised. Mm. Was Tracy ever into football, playing football, or was it just netball for her? Just netball. Uh, my mum was a footballer. Uh, I've got to say she was the footballer in the probably the family. My dad was the cricketer. Uh, but Tracy was always mm. uh, netball all rounders. She would come to football practice. She would try and join in, but and she would join in at cricket a lot, but uh, never really that much into football, really, Tracy. Mm-hmm. Do you know if the ladies' football was now? Would your mum? How, how good was your mum? Well, she she was the first. Uh, she was the first female ever to play for a town team when she was back in the day. So she played with uh, in a town team, uh, a boys' team, uh, and she was really good. Apparently, at the time, she, is that Berry? Yeah, Berry Town Team, and and she yeah. and it was frowned upon back then. You think about how much women's football's come on since. Well, you're talking 40, 50 years ago where it was frowned upon. She was banned yeah. from playing. Uh, there was obviously a lot of sort of like uh, discrimination against her playing. And, and even in the local Berry Times, she shows me a few clips of it was really frowned upon. Girls shouldn't have been playing football at that time. So, uh, but it never affected her. And she she's had that attitude through her life of just going through those type of boundaries. And now it's obviously better for female footballers, women footballers to go out there and play football. There's more opportunities than back then where, you know, if, if you was if you was a girl playing football, uh, you, you was probably laughed at, uh, poked fun at, and, yeah. and not really treated seriously. Mm-hmm. What position was she? Centre forward. Oof. Yeah, striker. Hey, striker. Next change for the Neville family. You used to bully the centre-half, your mum, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hang no, it no. up, hang it up. No, no, David. Uh, obviously, you were also a phenomenal cricketer. A, a phenomenal cricketer. Uh, no, I was a good cricketer. Well, I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen a quote from uh, Andrew Flintoff saying that you would have been, you were a genius and you would have been up there with the likes of Ricky Ponting. Well, I think I think Freddie was well, Freddie was in my team. He was a year younger, so we all we came up together from from ten years of age all the way up to sixteen. We was exactly in the same team together, and we were totally opposites. He he was a he was a I'm not going to say a slogger. He, he was literally what he was when he, he he became one of the best all rounders. He came in and he he entertained people, and I was the totally opposite. I, I bored, bored people to death uh, by by just batting all day. So uh, we were great friends, and we're still great friends now. And uh, he he does speak uh, really highly of me. But at the time when I was when I was playing cricket, when I was in like the England teams and stuff, the the players that I was playing with. Uh, the, the Treskothics of the world, the Freddie Flintoffs, the Collingwoods, they all went on to play for England. So I suppose hopefully my path path would have been the same, mm-hmm. but I, I had a long way to go. Was it difficult making that choice? Because I guess at some point you had to say, I'm going to go for football and mm-hmm. not for cricket. It, it was really difficult because cricket was cricket was the sport I loved the most. Uh, that was my favourite sport. I was better at the time at cricket than I was at football, but my brother had a big influence on me uh, in terms of, Coming home from training, because uh, he was two years above me, saying, "Oh, I, I, you know, I cleaned Mark Hughes's boots. I, I saw Brian Robson today. I, uh, Brian Robson came and trained with us, or or Giggsy came down and trained with us, and that influence really struck a chord with me about how much, you know, which decision I had to make, and 
you know, I'd say that that was a big influence. Who were your heroes growing up? Who were you pretending to be whenever you were five, six years old? And who was Gary pretending to be? Brian Robson. Brian Robson was king, still is today. He, he, he actually walked past my house the other day and we stopped and spoke and I still get nervous in his company. He, he was my biggest hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my dad loved him. Every time I watched United, in a time when Liverpool was winning everything, he, he, he epitomised what fight was all about and he carried Manchester United for... Uh, so many years and uh, Ian Bolton was my cricketing hero uh, someone that I played cricket with his son from 14, 15, 16 Liam and I managed to meet him and he he was someone that was uh, absolutely uh, one of the most iconic players of all time so Robson and uh, and Bolton were my heroes really Mm -hmm. Was your dad any good at cricket Phil? Yeah You say about your dad He was a slogger He, he was literally he used to go in and just used to hit the ball for sixes and uh, and my brother was a little bit like him and he played he played cricket to a really good level in the in the Bolton league uh, obsessed with cricket uh, as well so uh, and that's where it came from really yeah was it just cricket and football for you or did you do anything else i saw you at the at the semi finals in liverpool last summer so i didn't know if you were big on netball or just supporting no, no, we, we, we went every Monday and Thursday night, we went to watch my mum play netball, you know, at the local netball centre uh, with Tracy and we used to, we used to play, uh, obviously, different type of, different type of game than obviously basketball, but it was similar, we used to play, uh, Rounders was, was, was a great game, similar to baseball, I don't know if Rounders was a great game oh, to play. Great game. And, and and like that was the game probably that we loved playing the most because you used to play that at school, didn't you? You know, you played Rounders at school uh so so it was we were into all sports we were into all sports this is inspiring me i feel like my children don't do enough after this conversation well kids nowadays you know that there's not as many opportunities just to maybe let them go down to the park down the road Ellen, Mm. where we probably wouldn't let them do that now you know go down Mm. the park and come back when it's dark or or go out there and explore other sports or everything has to be arranged and at a practice and you have to yeah. almost, you have to pay. And things clash with each other. You have and... to pay for it and the time consuming yeah. after schools with homework and stuff. So there's not that freedom that we have to go and explore other things, you know, mm-hmm. which is sad really. It is. Tell us about your route to United, um, the scouting process. Obviously you said your brother um, was two years above you, but w- what was the process for you for getting into United's academy? Well, it was, uh, when when I was 12, I had, a, I had a trial at Manchester United. I had a trial on a Saturday, uh, just in the summer, and I couldn't go to the trial because I was playing cricket uh, at the time for England under 13s. And so we, we rung Brian Kidd up and said we couldn't come. And and Kiddo at the time uh, thought that we, we we didn't want I didn't want to play uh, football that I wanted to play cricket so they they obviously didn't come back to me and offer me another date so then during that season there was a scout at United called Les Kershaw I don't know if you've heard of him he's a mm-hmm. famous scout and he he came up to my dad and said oh it's really sad that Philip doesn't want to play football he just wants to concentrate on cricket and we said oh well actually he doesn't. So then I went to watch Gary one Monday night down at the Cliff training ground. He was training and uh, Kiddo came up to me and said, have you got your trainers? Come and join in with Gary. Come and join in with the session. And from that moment, I joined United. It was just, I think, on my 12th, just after my 12th birthday. And I was at the club ever since. And I used to always train with Gary's age group on my own. So I trained Monday, Tuesday, Thursday uh, down at the Cliff. uh, And I've been there ever since, really. So you were two years younger, but you did you continue to always train with the 
went on to be the class of 92 were you always with them or did you ever play in your own age group no, I played in my own age group but I always was invited up to play with Gary so okay. at 14 when Gary joined at 16 every school holiday I was always invited to play with the 16s mm-hmm. go in and train with the YTS lads in my school holidays or in periods where I didn't have school so I was always put up and that's another thing I don't think they do enough nowadays. They don't play kids yeah. up and let you know let them toughen yeah. up a little bit. But I played with my own age group as well during the season, which helped me helped me enjoy my football, helped me be with the players of my own age group and, and relax a little bit. But actually playing up was the one that actually I think is the most important thing uh, that I that they did for me. And at fifteen, I played for the youth team. Uh, so uh, it helped me a lot and I don't think kids nowadays they're not allowed to because of the system at a young age but playing up and playing street football against all the kids that bash you around and kick you and and make you actually learn the the respect of actually of your elders I think which is important Did you come across let me get this right Archie what was Scalzi's uh, Yeah Archie Archie what what was his surname Archie Archie (laughs) <laughs> did you come across him at cricket uh, no, but, no but we, but I did it at United uh, Maisie I don't know if you remember it was freezing one day and Steve McLaren had a we had a cricket game in the indoor gym do you remember that and we couldn't get you out I meant to bring it up I meant to bring it up I couldn't get you out he's like just bowling all day like Phil any chance and he's slogging everyone around the gym. But do you remember Ollie? Ollie wasn't bad either, was he? He's Norway, the first ever Norwegian cricketer <laughs> Norwegian to play cricket. cricket. <laughs> <laughs> but Scalzi was really good. Scalzi, he played for Middleton, I think. That's Scalzi. it, yeah. Middleton, yeah. So you never you never came across him in your cricketing days, just your footballing days? No, I mean, at cricket, I've got to say, I, I, I was a little bit higher than him. <laughs> I still think I'm better than him. <laughs> did, uh, did the group of you that went on to become that famous core group of, of the Class of 92 and Fergie's Fledglings and stuff, did the group of you sort of immediately become such close friends or was it something that developed over time, especially with you playing in the different age groups? No, I, I think there was a bond straight away. You know, I think I think people talk about the football side, but after training, there was, there was that group of lads and, and you had in there Chris Casper, Ben Thornley, uh, John O'Kane, Keith Gillespie was, was a big part of that group. They used to go up to Salford Snooker Hall, which was just up the road from the cliff or the Lilton. And every day they used to spend hours and hours in there. And that's where the friendships were formed, not really on the on the football pitch. Mm. And, you know, it's like it's like when we when we won the treble, the, the, the treble winning team, people talked about the football side, but it was actually it was actually the Tuesday nights in the living room or, or the nights out we had together with our families that, that actually were the spirit and the and the trophies were really won. And, I think from a really young age, Butty and Scholes, they were really, really tight. Uh, me, my brother, Chris Casper, uh, Bex used to come into our group. So that there was groups forming of real friendship and, and we, were, we were inseparable, really. Did you feel when you played in those training sessions, especially when you, I suppose you knew you were good at cricket and you've already said that was your, your, your real passion at the time. Mm. Did you feel like when you played in those sessions, especially when you played up a level, I could do this. This is okay. I'm not out of my depth here. This is, I'm comfortable. Well, to, to be honest with you, I never, and you never think that you, you, you're obviously going to make it because you think you're a million miles away. Because the Cliff Training Ground was that such where you had you had three three dressing rooms really tight together, and the first team dressing room was was obviously where like like the uh, Maisie went straight into when he joined. But we were in like the other dressing room, and you think that's a million miles away. Canton, our Hughes, Insk, Kanchelskis, Kino, you think never going to get to their level. They, these were our heroes, and 
so you never took that for granted. And and it wasn't until we probably actually went into that dressing room because we were still cleaning the dressing room. We were still cleaning Maisie's yeah. boots and all the players' yeah. boots right up until breaking in there. So we were always kept on our toes and we were never told you've made it, you're going to make it. We were like, you've got to work hard for this. You've got to drive for it. You, you're, you know, and uh, it wasn't until we came back for one preseason and we said, right, you're, you're training with the first team. And and we thought, I thought I was just there just to make numbers up. We went on a preseason tour to Malaysia. I thought oh, it was just to make numbers up. Came back and he named the team for the first game of the season. I was in it. I thought, I'm in the team here. <laughs> and it, it was just that quick. You know, it happened just that quick and natural. Yeah, you didn't actually spend that much time with the reserves, really? Was it no. one season? Yeah, I, I actually didn't I pl- I think I only played maybe 10 games for the reserve side because uh, I went from the youth team uh, and then and then because I was two years probably behind everyone else in age I went and, and they spent probably a year or two in the reserves I then I bypassed the reserve team straight into the first team so I, I went from playing a Lancashire Youth Cup game at Oldham on a Wednesday night to making my debut on the Saturday against Man City. So I skipped that bit <laughs> of Jim. I skipped the Jim Ryan age group where it was like the polishing, where you would polish your skills and everything. So that 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 was that, that was probably really good for me, really. Didn't need to polish your skills with that step over. <laughs> I mean, I've still not polished it now. <laughs> Phil, when you look at Harvey and he's obviously um, in the Manchester United Academy, do you see how much of a big deal it was for you? Especially for you personally, just going from, as you say, a Wednesday night playing uh, in the... Youth team, yeah, the youth team, yeah. Youth team. And then on a Saturday playing against City. Like, could you imagine something like that happening to Harvey? Well, the it was funny. Like, he had obviously had the big Youth Cup games last year. And, and the Youth Cup games defined my career. The Youth Cup games were the ones that that really probably made me into a first-team player or they weren't going to make him. They, they were the biggest probably pressure moments in my life. And when when they played those games last year, I almost took for granted really about how big a moment it was for Harvey. I tried to play down everything that he's doing because I want him to keep his feet on the ground. I want him to earn his own success. And, you know, when it, when they had the game against Leeds and Wigan and I went to the game and I saw all the families, it, then I thought to myself, wow, Imagine how my dad would have felt yeah. watching us mm-hmm. back in the day and, and the massive moments and they played Wigan and Jamie Carragher and his wife was there and, and almost like we'd been through that moment and, and and it takes you back to the time of these are the biggest moments in your life where if you can perform at Old Trafford in the youth team, you can probably perform at Old Trafford in the first team. But if you can't, if you've got the temperament to play for Manchester United, you get found out. And, and even now he was back in training this week it takes you back to the days of actually how important these days are for the life-defining moments for the kid, you know, and uh, the, the big, the big times. Mm-hmm. It must be very special for you to to be able to have to have lived it yourself and then get to watch it in your son. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's strange. I think if he was at another club, if he was at another club, I think I think I would probably feel a little bit more relaxed for him, a little bit more. Uh, but but I've got to say, being at Manchester United is difficult for me and for him probably in terms of sort of like mm. me, my brother, and uh, him. So I actually leave leave him away from it. I, he, he talks to his wife, he talks to my wife Julie more than he talks to me about it because I try and back off from him. I try and let him carve his own pathway. If, if he's happy, great. That's all I want him to be. But in terms of sort of like talking to him about the football, the sessions, 
it comes to me sometimes and I back away from it because I actually don't want to put any kind of pressure on him whatsoever because, you know, he walks down the corridor and sees the 99 pictures on the wall and, and people sees talking about yeah. it. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult. And, uh, you know, it's something that he has to cope with, I think. Phil, if you, if you could then take, take the father and son away, what advice would you give him? Well, he's at the best club. Yeah, I know that. But, I mean, lessons learned that you learned that you thought, wish I hadn't done that or... I hope he does that way. Or and this is this is for any kids that are out there. Yeah, yeah, for any kid. What I would say is at this period in time, uh, I didn't enjoy it as much as I, I, I needed to. I, I I didn't enjoy my football until probably I was twenty one, twenty two, and th- these are the best moments of your life. Yeah, you're leaving school and you're under a lot of pressure. And there's times when you know they're preparing for these games, and and you know the kids probably don't enjoy it as much as what they should. They should enjoy yeah. the moments in their life and. The one thing I do say to him now is, is that uh, to 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 obviously have another career alongside his schoolwork is still important. You know, he's he's fluent in Spanish, and I've said to him, keep up that side because you know what, at any moment that that call could come when you're not a professional footballer or United don't want you. Or so you you, you know to to have something. Oh, you signed for Barcelona. Oh, you signed for Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's having something alongside it that t- takes the stress and pressure away from the total focus and, and you've got to be focused to play for Manchester United and yeah. you've got to do everything and more you know if he, if he comes on one day and I say oh what have you done today have you done any extra if he says no I'm like well you need to do extra every single day of the week to become a player at Manchester United that's what Rashford has done that's what these kids breaking through now have done they've done extra and more than everybody else and I never forget Sir Alex saying to us if you only do what your coaches say to you it's not enough and 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 that's the lesson that, that I've passed on to him, really. Yeah, that's why you're doing the boot camp yeah. and burning him out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, no, because <laughs> three weeks of lockdown. In, in, obviously, in the lockdown, we used to get the kids up at like half six, seven every morning because I didn't want them to become lazy. I wanted them to get up and and, and attack the day. So three, four times a week, we'd get them up and do hit sessions and get them up and because I didn't want them to sort of like slip into lazy mode and, and I mean like, like our friend Sam here <laughs> is it is that what Sam does he's had nothing to, he's had nothing to get up for for the last four months apparently well, well, we've had some nice chats needs a bit of your time. attitude Phil <laughs> <laughs> what are you joking Sam no it's fine it's, it's accurate uh, <laughs> so the class of 92 we all know the famous story it wasn't long before you personally though went on to win the Jimmy Murphy yeah. award Phil yeah, and how proud a moment was that oh, for the, the, you? And were you aware of people like Jimmy Murphy at the club and the history? Yeah, well, that's the first thing that you taught when you play for Manchester United. I think it's the first thing that any kid should be taught. Any signing that comes in should be taught about the history of the club, and uh, and and I hope that the kids nowadays still, you know, still have, you know, you should walk them up that Munich tunnel. You should tell them about the history of the club. Obviously, there's the Jimmy Murphy Centre there. Uh, I didn't. I actually didn't realise the magnitude of winning that, and so you take the trophy home and see the previous winners of that trophy Man United legends Man United greats that, that went on to to win and play for United for 10, 10 years at the club so uh, at the time I probably took it for granted and and, and obviously my father I never forget we went out and he bought me a jacket because it was it was the last game of the season I think they presented it on the pitch to me still got the photo up in, uh, in the study downstairs as one of probably an individual moment that actually probably ha- helped sh- uh, shape my career really wow. current holder of the Jimmy Murphy Young Player of the Year is Mason Greenwood for anyone who's curious yeah. is he? he's not bad is he? not bad <laughs> uh, before you Paul Scholes and twice before that Ryan Giggs yeah 
and, and th- th- there's been some fantastic play. You look at Mason now, you look at the impact he's made. I think, is there only Bobby Charlton, Wayne Rooney scored as many goals in their first yes. uh, set of games? So, Seven, 17, so it, I think. You know, and, and you've got to look at stats like that and think, well, how good this lad can be? Well, Rooney was a great and Charlton was one of our greatest. So so that's that's how big and that's how far this kid can go. What was life like when you first started appearing in first team squads regularly? Tough. Yeah, it was tough. It was a tough school. Schmeichel, Keane, uh, Sparky, uh, Mark Hughes had just left then, but we had some real big characters. Brucey, I always think of Brucey as being the, 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 even now when I see him, he was like our father figure. He was the one that really, I was going to say, give us real love, uh, looked after us, cared for us, encouraged us. Uh, Peter and Keeney give us tough love. You know, they were the ones that, they wanted the team to win and they didn't want anyone else on, on the pitch training with them that didn't have the same desire, determination and ability. So so they taught us the real tough, harsh lessons of the standards that required every single day. If you didn't cross the ball right, Peter would, would have a go. If you didn't pass it right, keep possession, defend right, Roy Keane would absolutely batter you. But Brucey was the one that actually was the smoothing one. He was the one that would come to you and and almost care from you for you away from the pitch in your life, making sure that everything was okay for you. His wife Janet would always make sure that she would take care of sort of like my my girlfriend that when she when we went in the players' lounge. So it was so so each individual senior player had a special role to play, and each individual had a role that was equally as crucial. Keeney with his standards, Peter with his standards, and Will to win. But Brucey Brucey was the one that I always have a soft spot for because. He genuinely, genuinely wanted you to do well and cared for you. And, and at a time when probably his, his role in the club was coming to an end, the class of that man was unbelievable. I second that. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. I, I, second, the, that. I, I second that with Bruce. Bruce did you not feel that, class. Bruce? And you was, probably, you was probably taking over from him, Maisie, at the time, so, wasn't you? Bruce was absolutely different class with me. He was absolutely brilliant. Mm. From, from walking... And Pally. Walking in that dressing yeah. room on the first day of the cliff, and the pair of them came over and shook me hands, welcome to, welcome to the club. And obviously, like as you said, you know, I was there to replace Brucey, but Brucey was phenomenal with me. Yeah, absolute different class. You think about Dennis as well, Maisie, Dennis, yeah. and Pally. You know, even Paul Parker. Paul Parker, yeah. like my brother, probably took his position and yeah. ended his Manchester United career, but. Before before every game, he would come up to you and say, "This winger does this. Make sure you get tight to him." And I'm I'm like, this 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 England international who's, who's been to a World Cup doesn't have to do this to this set of kids. And no. and what it did what it did teach you, it taught you the, the 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 humility needed and the class needed to play for Manchester United. And those without it didn't last long in that dressing room. Let me tell you, those that were a yeah. bit bitter, those that didn't want you to do well, you, you sieved them out, and you had a team that whoever came in. You just wanted the team to do well, and that 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 was the spirit of that that era. You know, Brian McClare was another one who was just, you know, he didn't probably play that many games towards the end, but dear me, every single day he would give you advice in a different way than what anyone else would give you. So yeah. that taught me an awful lot about how how you wanted to shape your career and how you treated others when other players came into the club. What was your debut like, Phil? As someone who grew up supporting the club from the from the area. <laughs> that must have been incredible because mostly when we we talk to people obviously they've not come from north england and they haven't well, been lifelong united fans 
we asked Golzi and he was like, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, I went and kicked the ball about my mates. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah, well, the I played I played on the Wednesday night at Oldham in a, an FA Youth Cup game. And then on the Friday morning, Kiddo came down and said, oh, Phil, you just come and train with us today. Come and have a session with us today. Dead relaxed, like, 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 almost as if it, you know, it was like just to play around in the park. So I trained with the first team. After training, the boss said, oh, I'm, Meet at the Copthorne tomorrow at 12 o'clock, Phil. Just just come and watch the derby. You know, it's a derby game tomorrow. Good for your experience. You can help Norman, uh, the kit man at the time. So I turned up at the hotel and uh, it was absolutely bucketing down with rain. And the boss had to go to Main Road to see if the game was on. He had to do a pitch inspection. So we was having our pre-match. And I never forget, uh, Pally was saying, right, lads, let's have a vote. Do we want it on? And if it's off, we can go to Mulligan's uh, or, the, or whatever it was. <laughs> so, so they were going around everyone. There was me, my brother and someone else. And we were like, we want the game to be on. You know, we want the game to be on. We want to put, and, and everyone else was going Mulligan's, Mulligan's, Mulligan's. <laughs> and it came to me. I said, I want the game on. And literally I got absolutely abused. The boss came back. And, and he went, oh, yes, uh, Schmeichel in goal, uh, Dennis right back, uh, Bruce Pallister, Phil Neville left back. Well, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, what the hell's going on here? I'm playing. So we went to the game and I do. it's the only game in my career I don't remember anything about. I just remember we, we won the game 3-0, three, three I think. And I, I got subbed about 70 minutes. I was absolutely shattered. Uh, and that's the only thing I remember about the game. Just walking off uh, after 70 minutes, he, boss put, put the, his arm around me, kiddo give me a hug. And that's the only thing I remember. The the vote before the game in Copthorne about whether to go to an Irish pub or to play the game against Man City. And then and then obviously coming off and that, that night I went to I went for an Italian meal with my mum and dad up in Edgeworth, a, a pub called the Toby Inn to celebrate. And that was it. That's all I remember. Were your family at the game? No, no, because it was my dad was at the game. Yeah, yeah, it was my dad was at the game, uh, but but nobody else was at the game. So. And how did you feel that you played? What did your dad say to you after? I honestly can't. What did Gary say to you? You can't remember. Either. I think, I think, I, I never forget kiddo saying, you, you, you proved that you can handle playing for Manchester United because it was a derby. I'd made my debut in a Manchester derby. Like I say, the game, I, I remember the game being so fast and and, and the players being... Who was it against, Phil? I was up against a, a player called Guardino. I don't know if you remember him. He was, he was he, I, I, yeah, exactly. And then... I think Mike Sharon played up front and yeah. I remember Terry Phelan and Keith Curl and I never forget in the tunnel, they were all looking at me as if to say, who's this young little whippersnapper mm-hmm. here? And, you know, you just, for the game, it just the game passed me by. The game just, yeah. just went went by in an absolute blur. I had a good game, Ellen, though. I had a good game, I think. <laughs> good. You played left back, you said? Left back, yeah. Yeah. Is that the position you enjoyed the most at that age? Yeah, yeah. Left back was was my favourite position. Mm-hmm. I used to watch Dennis a lot. Dennis was a brilliant left back with his right foot, and uh, and obviously having Giggsy in front of you made it so made it so easy because he would provide the width, and you just had to give him the ball. and uh, And Pally was Pally was unbelievable to play against because he was he was so quick, so strong. And every time a cross came in, he would, he would head every, every ball. So it was almost as if I was protected, you know, by players around me at the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was great. It was great experience. Maisie, what do you remember about Phil coming through and being around the dressing room in the first team? <laughs> <laughs> Is that laughter of nervousness? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I, think, I think when those kids came through, you knew how special they were. You know, you'd see them in the youth team, how good they were. And Phil being two years younger than them, you know, as Phil said, to take that step up, that two-year gap is massive. But he took to it like a duck to water. And I think, I think with those lads 
they were so close together that got them through the first part of the probably the stages of the career because they had each other to rely on. You know, as, as Phil touched, you know, their kid, Booty Scolzi. You know, it's Ben. Ben. Ben would have been there as well. Yeah. Cask. Mm. You know, they're, they're your closest teammates, and to have them around you as well. Wow. You're not just taking the one step up, like Phil coming into the dressing room, being in awe. Mm. They all stepped up together. And I think that was that was massive for the for them all. Yeah. But yeah, Phil's I love Phil. He's great. Maisie makes a great point that going into that first team dressing room was daunting, but to go in as five made it easier because almost yeah. you, you, you could you had support in there and, and you had backing in there. And I've got to say that we all we all probably helped each other. And and people talk about that first season when we won the league. We, 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 you speak to Nicky or any of us, we won the league because of Schmeichel, Keane, Pallister, Bruce, Maisie, uh, Andy Cole, Cantona. You didn't win the league because the young kids. The, kid, the kids, we just got carried that first season. We, we had energy. Uh, there were some games we did well, some day, games we didn't. But actually, the spine of the team was the one that won us the league. And people should always remember that, that those, those senior players at the time carried us that season. Because up until Christmas, we, we were so inconsistent. Were you aware of the your win nothing with kids stuff? Yeah, I, I watched it. I watched it. I went home that night. I watched it. I was devastated. It affected. It, it probably affected me because you you actually think he's actually probably got a point. You know, the, the league's never been won with kids. You know, the Hughes, Konchelskis, Paul Ince. These were legends. These were players that had won league titles, won FA Cups. These were England internationals and obviously Russian internationals. And you think. Well, maybe he's got a point there. You know, how are we going to win a league when there's so many other good teams in the league? We, when we're unproven, but the, but the one thing that that we had, we had the backing of the manager. He trusted us. He believed in us. He he stuck with us, stuck with us, and uh, and that 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 was probably worth worth everything. And that then became our motivation. Let's prove Alan Hansen wrong. And obviously, I've worked with Alan Hansen, and. People have a go at him, but actually, at the time, probably any pundit in the world would have said the same thing. What, what, what's happening here? Are these kids? These kids aren't going to win the league, uh, and that was part of our motivation. Had he not said that, maybe the I mean, the motivation would have been there. But that just that little bit of edge. You think, Do you know what? We are going to improve. We are going to be good. Should probably just add for people that are listening that aren't from the UK. That so, there's this really famous line from Match of the Day where the pundit uh, Alan Hansen said after we'd lost to Villa, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're with nothing with kids, referring to the number of young players that Sir Alex had to put in the team. Well, he, he was the best pundit on TV. He was like Carragher and Gary now. He was the main man on TV that everybody listened to. That was the only football show at the time. And he was the best pundit on the TV. And he carried weight. And that statement, I've got to say, even though it was our motivation, it actually made him even more famous. It actually, you know, you think about iconic moments. That is an iconic moment in the Premier League history. Mm-hmm. And I went to the World Cup with him in 2014. I worked with him and I love him. And he was like, best thing I ever did that. It actually made me... <laughs> it, no, he said it was, it was because actually it made him... It sort of like put punditry on, 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 the, on the TV map. So it's his fault. There you go. I felt... In your early days, who's who was your roommate whenever you went to games? Somebody has told me you were the roommate, but I can't remember who. Gary, I room with Gary a lot. I room with Scalzi once. Uh, he, he didn't. In- oh yes, Scalzi. <laughs> yeah, he didn't enjoy me. Didn't enjoy. He it. didn't enjoy. You were an early riser. <laughs> yeah, and and the thing with Scalzi was is that, and and with England we had our own rooms. With Scalzi, he liked his curtains closed all day, 
And literally, you go into his room, and it was as if it was two in the morning all day long. He just used to like watching telly with the curtains closed. And I would wake up and obviously open the curtains, bright and breezy, <laughs> busy. So, so that I think I think that was Bromby away. That 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 was like a one day experience that Scholesy never had again. I room with Jordi Cruyff because me and Jordi Cruyff were quite close for two trips, but he used to play football manager up until about three in the morning. I used to go to bed at nine o'clock. And so we weren't really that compatible. Uh, so did you find the only person that was really compatible with you would have been your brother then? It was, was was my brother. Yeah, where, where we'd rise early and go to bed early. And so so we stuck together really. Uh, and, and obviously Gary and Bex were close, but Gary and Bex were totally the opposite. Bex liked to stay up late, get up late. And Gary was was busy as well so uh, they, they just stuck us together but the experience with Scholes it was, was, was I thought we would be a match made in heaven we were close friends and and and, we, uh, and I brought I brought wine gum, Maynard's wine gums for him I'd brought you know because he likes sweets and, and for the minute I walked in the room even me unpacking the bag annoyed him in the way that I went you know everything I did annoyed him you know if I got to the toilet and flush and then wipe the sink down it annoyed him do you know what I mean so uh, it, was, it wasn't good for Scholes we needed him to be on form for the match not, not, oh, not to be and you were really trying to impress honestly, I, with your wine I gums. thought that was it I thought I'd, cup of tea a cup of tea yeah I'd, I'd, I, I was like honestly I was like Scholes I'll do anything for you you know you just say it and I'll be there and he just he just hated everything about the energy that I was giving oh. off in the room you know what I mean? that's so funny that's quality that's quality but but when we was with England, he would oh, always he would always close his room. He would he, he was the old, we used to leave our keys in our room and and people used because it was our own hotel, and and he used to always text what you up to, Fizzer. So I knew he'd want me to come round and have a bit of banter. But whenever he wanted me to go, he go right, Fizz, let's go. And he and that was his sh- to to get rid of me. He probably just needed small doses of me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> people were people might have noticed the contrast between even just this podcast and the one we did with Scolzi in that he didn't really seem to remember his own career. His whole view of it was no. just, yeah, I played football with my mates. And whenever we asked questions, he'd be like, I don't know, when was that? Was that then? Did we win that league? I don't know. It was all right though, wasn't Check it? Maisie, do you remember that? Yeah, didn't have a clue. Brilliant. Where's the physical from? I was just going to ask that. Yeah, you know, Maisie. Come on. <laughs> no, well, the, the England coach driver was, was a real cockney, real strong cockney. And he used to say things like, morning gal and, and, and all in these Cockney accents. And then one day he, I came on and he called me, I think he called me Fizzle. Morning, Fizzle. <laughs> and Scalsy for the rest of that England trip uh, <laughs> call, ca- called me Fizzle or Fizz. He started saying Fizzer, Fizzer, Fizzer. So we went back and we was in a box and I must have said, oh, great pass, Fizzer. And Roy Keane turned at me and went, what the effing hell's Fizzer? And that just stuck. That just stuck then, Fizzer. And it, it, you know, so that's where it came. They coach drive with England. What a legacy he's left. Unbelievable, honestly. What was the, what was the conversations with you and Gaz in the rooms? What was that all about? We wouldn't speak. What? We didn't speak. We, we, never, we, we never spoke in the rooms at all. We'd never get back to the room and have banter. We're not that type, you know what I mean? So we just go back to the room. No, not that. <laughs> no, we'd, just not go that. Back. we'd go back to the room, watch Tally go to sleep. The minute we'd go for breakfast the next morning and literally we would sit on separate tables. He'd sit with Bex and I'd sit with Scolzi or someone else. You know what I mean? Because I'd work the room, you know, because I was friends of everyone, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everyone hated Gary. Everyone everyone hated Gary, you know? <laughs> work the room. What, uh, what did you watch? Oh, question of, well, question of sport, whatever was on at the time. 
there was no Netflix, there was no pink headphones back in those days, Al, you know what I mean? So, the, uh, no, we, we'd just watch telly till nine o'clock and then whenever Gary wanted to go to sleep, he would turn the telly off. He'd have the remote. Oldest, you see. Oldest. <laughs> was it ever awkward uh, doing all of that with your brother? Because with all the benefits that must come with it, there must also be moments where you must, I guess, naturally be so protective of each other that if they've had an argument with another player, which is very common, or if the manager has, has moaned about a performance or something, did it ever make you feel a bit... I don't know, less comfortable because of that concern for the other one or anything like that? I, I think we handled that quite well. There's a couple of moments when, like like if he was getting an absolute roasting off uh, the boss or something, or there was an incident up at Middlesbrough, I think Gary and Rude, Van, Van Nistelrooy came in the dressing room and and, and there was a little bit of argy-bargy. Gary talks about it in his book. And, and your first initial reaction would be, I go and stand with my brother, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because because we're not fighters, we're, we're lovers, not fighters. So so I think, <laughs> uh, and and there was obviously times in definitely in the dressing room as we got older when when if say for instance somebody would have a go at Gary's clothes, we, we would definitely stick together. Like Yorkie and Coley, obviously they would, they would say, "Oh, I, like brothers." Phil, how on earth how on earth can you look after Gazzy's clothes? Yours were minging as no, well. No, but if you say comfort Gary's clothes, I'd say, uh, you know, we, I'd stick together with yeah, Gary's yeah. clothes. I, we'd stick together in the banter. Or Yorkie and Cole, they used to always, let's, you know, if it was playing 1v1s, they used to say, let's go and, let's go and look at the Chuckle Brothers. Let's go and look, you know, and, and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, no, we would stick together. But I'd say from 18, 16 to 18, when we left school, we did probably like drift a little bit in terms of sort of like looking after our own careers and stuff. And then when we got in the first yeah. team, we, we became tight again. When was the first time you played together? Do you remember? <laughs> uh, for United? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the first team. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. To be fair, that's the one thing I can't remember, to be fair, when we first played together. I'll try and look it up. Probably that Aston Villa game, maybe. Yeah. The Aston Villa game when we lost 3-1. You should know that, Sam, shouldn't you? Have you done your homework? Yeah. I mean, I, do you know, I, it's one question I had no idea what the answer was, so I thought I'd find out. That's why we have Google. Uh, looking forward to later, because you were the first brothers to captain opposing teams, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that was obviously when I went to uh, my first game back at Old Trafford for Everton. So that that was a, that was a, a strange, strange day, that was. Strange day. I can't say I enjoyed it, to be honest with you. No, I'm sure. Uh, well, we can get on to Everton later. United's a bit more fun, isn't it? Uh, what are, What are your memories from the nineteen ninety nine season? Best probably season of my career uh, in terms of sort of like the experiences. I, I'm not sure what Maze is like, but I probably only remember probably the last ten days more than more than the rest. But big moments in that season. We didn't start the season very great. We, we were poor up until October. Then we started to change it around a little bit. Then. Then obviously the 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 FA Cup run started. The the two late goals by Oli against Liverpool in the FA Cup seemed like a turning point. The semi final was was the pinnacle for me. Unbelievable night of football, both games. And then obviously into Milan, Juventus, and then and then those ten days will is the only thing that probably uh, I remember probably more than any of the of the rest really, which were the ten best days of my of my life really. You're one of, we think, uh, Maisie and I tried to work it out a while ago, uh, the number of players from the squad that actually have all three medals. What do you mean? Maisie's got all three medals. Well, no, no. in the fact that you play the Premier League medal, then you play in the FA Cup, and then you play in the actual final. So, you know, like Skulls in Keenan missed out on the yeah. final. Even though they did get the, oh, med- yeah. the medal. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, but, as a... Yeah, well, I mean, because obviously, I think but- Butty missed the, the FA Cup final, didn't he? Uh, because yeah, he got rested right, for, yeah. the, for the Champions League final, so yeah, it was yeah. 
Oh, it was a brilliant 10 days. I mean, and, and people, people again, talk about the football, but actually the, the, the parties we had after those games, the celebrations, the time yeah. we spent together was, was, was incredible. That, 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 that was my, the best moments for me, the time we spent together. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just sort of like the players, it was our families as well that had the best 10 days of their lives as well. How hard was it to, to not get carried away in the idea of the treble? We, we, we never thought about it. We, we never, ever thought that it was going to be possible. And, you know, the, the, the after every game, Jim Ryan would come in and say, oh, the clock's ticking next game, the clock's ticking the next game. Then we've got 10 to go. Then we've got nine to go. So we never, ever got carried away because I think we played every two or three days, Maisie, didn't we? Yeah. It was a game every two or three days. We, didn't, we never had time to rest. We never trained. We just actually just played, no. played games and travelled and played games and travelled and, and every every two or three days, and the boss would make rotations. So we were all a part of something. It wasn't just eleven players. It was, you know, I, I, we played probably every other game, didn't we, Maisie? You know, it was. I think I think that's how when you look at the, the manager being how he is, you know, and every game was so important then. But yet, he trusted everybody to do the job. You look at you look at teams now and think we've got to play the strongest team, got to play the strongest team. But in theory, if you keep playing the strongest team, by you get to the the end of the end of the season those lads are absolutely knackered so the way the manager did it was a genius really because he knew he could pick certain teams and certain players for certain games and then rest the the bigger players he trusted us mate he trusted trusted us yeah absolutely he made five changes in the semi-final replay Uh, five changes he brought myself Blomquist in he brought a load of players in for the semi-final, left Giggsy and Yorkie out of the semi-final and Coley. I mean, you think yeah. that. And, and even you look at it now with Ollie, he played the same team in every game. And and like probably now they're just beginning to fatigue where where back, I mean, I mean, Sir Alex back, what, what was it, I don't know, 20 years ago, he was the first one that brought in yeah. rotation. He was the first one that brought in pasta for pre-match. He was like, he was, yeah. ahead, he was yeah. five years yeah. ahead of everybody else. In terms of the way that he would have this big squad, two two players for every position. You know, we played the FA Cup final, Maisie, didn't we? And and yeah. we knew our role. We knew our role within the squad, and and we knew we were going to get forty games a season. And we knew that every time we came in, the manager trusted us to play, and he never ever never flinched at putting anyone in. Um, one quick question, just on in all of this, the um, semi final, Ray Parler, Dennis Bergkamp, Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, that must have been a, a, an emotional roller coaster for you. That sort of minute or so after giving away that penalty, it's the moment I spoke about probably more than actually winning the treble. That moment for me personally, because <laughs> obviously it was it was the defining moment. Uh, I said at the time I thought that would probably be the end of my Man United career. It felt so big. We thought that. Yeah, I just <laughs> glad that Peter just honestly it was uh, Peter, Peter. Actually, I love Peter. Honestly, I, I, he. He, I speak to him now. I love him, and uh, and I think I loved him even more after that moment. Horrendous tackle. I think it's one of those moments though. Ev- everybody in that phase it looks knackered because even the penalty is is not the penalty of a of a confident, full of steam Dennis Bergkamp, is it? Well, if you watch that game, and three days before that game, we had a similar game. That that rivalry between Man United and Arsenal was beyond football. It was life or death. It was literally. Them games had had so much intensity, so much pressure, expectation, you name it. There were games like you'd never played in, probably never played in in my career again or or, or ever. But, and, and they were so intense. They were two brilliant teams. You can't... Arsenal were yeah. an unbelievable team with great, great players. And we had an unbelievable team. So 
actually they, they were they were the games that actually took everything out of you and that game went into extra time and three days before that it was extra time the the, the, the pass from Vieira people say oh it was a bad pass he was shattered he, he could see that there was no way he, could, he couldn't get any weight and power in his pass because he was that shattered because it was literally 2v2 in midfield uh, Petit and Vieira versus Keane and Butthole's goals and literally they went toe to toe 1v1 for literally 120 minutes times two and 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 there was no there was no inch given and and that's why after that game there was so much respect for both teams i think did it feel bigger did they feel bigger than playing liverpool or city at the time yeah like were they the games you looked for first or would you look for liverpool and city well you you'd look for liverpool and city i mean city at, at the time wasn't really probably that was probably third on the list at the time yeah liverpool was always the game that was was the big one but Arsenal was the one that you knew that you had to beat Arsenal because they were our biggest challengers. They were the best team. They had a great mm. manager. So you look at the team that's probably your biggest threat. And at the time it was Arsenal. Then it became Chelsea. So you, you, you've got to nullify your biggest threat. And at the time they were, they weren't going away. They were, they were getting stronger and better. And, and the, they were, they were catching us up. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Are you back with us now? <laughs> I'm back. My internet connection's really, really bad. And, I'm really far from the router. Was you bored? Sorry. I should have stopped my video before I did that. Sorry. Hums under the hammer. I'm back. So the hit session she was at bored. <laughs> Don't even know what we're on. Uh we're talking about ninety-nine. <laughs> we're on the, we're on. Sorry, continue, continue. I'm back, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, it's been great talking to you. <laughs> I'm back. I'm having a nightmare. Sorry, guys. Headphones, internet connection. It's all gone on with me today. Sorry, continue. After the success of 99, were the following seasons more difficult? Because even even with winning the league the next two years, did it feel like every year hadn't quite lived up to what had happened before? There was that feeling that even when we won the league, it, it, it didn't really probably give us what that, 99 European Champions League game give us and, and that was probably the biggest disappointment we then you know, think after that we lost to Monaco we lost to Leverkusen Leverkusen in a semi-final which was incredible really we should have beat Leverkusen we should have beat Monaco and we probably never kicked on from the 99 team that was probably it for the 99 team and then obviously the boss started to obviously bring in probably changing the style a little bit different type of player different types of system obviously when when Seba Varon joined we went to 4-3-3 type system so and obviously wanted to keep moving forwards but I think that's probably my one disappointment is that we never went on to win another one with that team but does uh, does history now make maybe you think more favourably of that time because still only once since then has a Premier League team won the Premier League three times in a row. That was the first time it had ever happened. Yeah. And the only other time that's happened is United again. Yeah, but it, it, it's... I think Sir Alex never looked at other Premier League clubs. He always looked at, uh, like, Real Madrid. Real Madrid serial uh, Champions League winners. And, and that's what he wanted for this club. He, he didn't... Was it, was it nine years since we won the next one in 2008, was it, in Moscow? So he thought that that was too long. He, he wanted us to be getting to finals year in year out and yeah semi-finals is still okay but he wanted us to be like Ajax AC Milan the Real Madrid the great teams that went on to win multiple Champions League like like Liverpool in a way uh, and, and that's something that we've not done uh, consistently enough I don't think What was your relationship like with Sir Alex Phil? 
it was good. He was a father figure. I think he was, I'm not saying he was softer on me, but I think he realized, we, you know, we did have a, a brilliant relationship. He knew, he knew what I could do. I trusted him. He trusted me unbelievably. Even when he used to leave me out, he used to always reassure me of my position within the club. And there was great respect between us. And uh, I think the day that I left the club was probably one of the highlights of my whole life, really, the way that he invited me to his house and, and we, we had a cup of tea and a sandwich. And, and we talked about the next stage of my career, which club I was going to, what's the best thing for me. And always at the end of it, he said, but you, you know that you can always come back to Manchester United. You know that you're welcome anytime. You're part of the history of the club. And what was really a, mentally a really difficult time for me to leave the club that I loved, he made it so special and, uh, and I'll be forever grateful for him for that moment. Did he actually pick, pick the club for you then, Now We sat in his front room and the first thing he said was, and I said, look, I think it's probably time, and he agreed. And he said, what do you fancy? I said, well, I want to move abroad. I don't want to play for another club in the Premier League and play against Manchester United. That's what I didn't want. I, I, I couldn't see myself putting on another shirt. And he said, what do you think? Because there was a little bit at the time, Atletico Madrid had contacted me and I quite fancied that uh, that experience. And then I said, Everton are interested in me. And, and, and then we started talking about clubs in Italy and he kept saying, but Everton are good. I said, yeah, but Atletico, yeah, but Everton are good. So he, he guided me down because obviously he really respected David Moyes. He knew that what kind of club Everton was. He probably knew that I was a family man and probably didn't have to move away from home. So he said that that was a good club. They just got into the Champions League. They had a hungry manager. And that was his advice, really. Yeah, you know, and, and he made it really easy. The club, David Gill was fantastic in dealing with Bill Kenwright in terms of we got the deal done in literally one hour. My dad, David Gill, Bill Kenwright, we got the deal done in literally one hour. Everton matched my terms and it was done and dusted so quickly. Wow. So did your dad and Sir Alex gang up on you to make you go to Everton and not go to Spain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, David... Mo Having secret chats? No, he's not going to Spain. David Moyes had approached my dad three or four times, uh, you know, at dinners or at, at functions that they would they'd both cross. So my dad was really impressed with the fact that this man actually really wants you. It's not just once he's coming for you. He then spoke to Bill Kenwright and he was really good with my dad. And then obviously uh, the fact that it was a club that was was on the up, it was in the Champions League. And I think staying at home was a big thing that my dad thought was good for me as well. I just had a, mm -hmm. a young family and, and yeah, probably the Spain offer never really came through. So it was it was a, a nap really. And, and Steve McLaren was at Middlesbrough and he was actually the one that set the ball rolling because he rung up my dad and said, I've heard that United want to sell you and I'd be interested in signing you. So Middlesbrough and Everton were the two clubs that I was talking to at the time. Did you have both of your children when you were still at United? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they don't remember me playing for Man United. Aww. Yeah, my, my daughter was young. My son was probably three when I left, probably. Uh, two or three when I left. So he, he sees pictures. Uh, there's pictures of him in your Man United dressing room. There's pictures of him uh, playing around on the pitch, but doesn't really have any recollection his, his probably memory was probably my his first memory was me playing for Everton. If I can just ask you, Phil, about Isabella. Yeah. Obviously, that was a very very difficult time for you and your wife and all of your family. How how did Sir Alex? What did he do for you at the time? What did he speak to you about? And how did that affect your football? If you don't mind me asking about that. Yeah, it, it, we were in Dubai on a on a pre on a pre Christmas break. Uh, he took us to Dubai. 
uh, and my wife went into labor 24 weeks and, and she rung me and said her waters had broke. She was in hospital and that, uh, the baby's life was at risk. So I went round to his room and literally said, look, boss, my, my wife's in danger, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, we'll put your flight on within two seconds. I'd had a flight. I, I was on a flight home. And he literally just said, do not come back into training until everything's safe. And, and I used to come from the hospital because I lived at the hospital at the time with my wife and, and obviously because we had to keep the baby safe inside her. And uh, and I think it was about six weeks uh, we were in hospital and, and I used to drive from the hospital to training. And literally, he, he, there was no expectation. He would ask me how I was every single day and family was was really important to him. But he also... He also taught me the harsh facts of life is that, you know, life has got to go on as well. Mm-hmm. And and he, he was quite, he was really ruthless, but really good at that point in terms of sort of like, look, your wife's in hospital. She's got the best care. You've got your mother and father and your in-laws around her. You, you've still got to, your life has still got to carry on at the same pace as well. So it was a, it was an horrendous time, but, but the, 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 we were a family at Manchester United. That's the one thing I would say. We were a family that supported each other. Mm-hmm. And at that time, did obviously having a, any child, it gives you a pr- different perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. Football, people say once they had the children, football just wasn't as important. They didn't go home and think about it every day. But in your case, how did that affect your life and in football? Well, we didn't find out until I was at Everton two years later, two and a half years later, that she had cerebral palsy. So mm-hmm. for the first year and a half, two years of Isabel's life, she was just she was just a normal baby. She was just someone yeah. that, that was that would cry, that would feed. And then when I went to Everton in my first year at Everton, I had an horrendous time because one, leaving Manchester United was difficult, but being accepted at Everton was really, really tough. Probably mentally the toughest thing that I've ever had to go through. And then six weeks into my time at Everton, I was driving home from training and my, and my wife, She'd always thought there was something not quite right. She rung me and said she's got cerebral palsy. She had a stroke on the side of her brain and they'd, they'd look back at the scans, etc. So, So coping with all that was really difficult. And I remember missing the Christmas party with Everton. It was something like the 18th of December, but Isabella had brain scans that day. And I remember phoning the captain saying, look, I can't go to the Christmas party. The Christmas party was in Southampton or something like that. It wasn't in... in so we had to have two nights away from home. I said, well... I, I, I can't come. My, 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 my daughter's in hospital. And at the time, she's got, I said she's got, at the time, they thought I was just not playing part of the team. They thought that, because I'd not told yeah. everyone at Everton that she'd had cerebral palsy. I wanted to keep that from within. And I remember Tim Cale, who was my best friend, saying, you've got to come there. You've got to come to the Christmas party. And I went round to his house and said, look, mate, I've got to say X, Y, Z. And then he said, well, you need to tell the players this will give you more support. And maybe the problem was me at Everton rather than the players. And so I told the captain. And from that moment onwards, I felt a second family at Everton that what I did at United. Mm-hmm. And, and that that was a difficult change. That was a difficult moment. I think people were looking at you like, oh, he's come from Man United. He yeah. thinks he's above us or something like that. He, he, he don't, you know, he don't want to play a part in our team. Because team nights out, it may as well tell you, if you didn't turn up on a team night out, you, you would you, you get ripped. You'd get ripped yeah. and, and you, you, you know, that was a big part of team spirit. And if you didn't want to play a part in that, then we weren't going to trust you on the field. So I can see where the Everton lads were coming from, but... But it was just uh, I, so I private, though, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to share it with me. I didn't want to share it with anyone. Uh, I wanted to grieve myself. I wanted to be, you know, the tears that we had at home. I wanted to stay within our house, and and I wanted to put on the front that everything was okay. But but then once we told everybody, 
it actually made things better for us for, for us as a family. And then we got involved in a charity, the Great Manchester Children's Charity, and it was to raise twenty million pounds. So, so that when when you have a newborn baby that's but the premature, there was no there was no facilities to actually stay at the hospital. You had to leave your baby. We left Isabella for eight weeks at the hospital, so that was distressing. So then we played a part in raising £20 million over the next three years to build an accommodation block. So families, and it's the Isabella Neville accommodation block. It's named after Isabella. So that helped us overcome and grieve and share our experience with other people, which which then made us believe there was other people out there that were suffering like us, which made it easier to cope with, really. Mm, that's incredible. And Isabella has gone on and... You know, she's got an amazing life now and yeah. probably doing things that you'd never expect her to have been able to no. do whenever she was diagnosed. No, she's she's a she's a little star. She's she's left school now. She's going to college next year and leading normal life as well as can be expected. There are challenges every single day for her. There's challenges ahead of her in terms of sort of like the things that she can do, the things that she can't do. Uh, but she's attacked every challenge and uh and we've been really tough on her. I always think it's like the Sir Alex in, in us that we've been taught of tough love, ruthlessness, get out there. And, you know, things like climbing onto a bus or walking into hail for a coffee, you know, we, we, we force her to do these things. And, and that has helped her in her attitude of, mm-hmm. you know, she doesn't feel sorry for herself, really. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's incredible. So what was life like at Everton? Obviously difficult in the beginning. Yeah. Did And then eventually you became the team captain and stuff and, and, did it feel like a, almost like a second career? It was it was equally as good as Manchester United. David Moyes was was incredible. At six six games into the season of the first season, he named me captain, and I, and I said I didn't want the captaincy. I wanted to earn my stripes. I didn't want to because I was I was known as sort of like teacher's pet a little bit, you know, because because he put so much faith in me, and I didn't want the captaincy. And he said, "No, you're the captain. I want to change the the culture of the club, and I want to bring in new players." and and he stuck with me, believed in me. And then the leadership side of it helped me come out more as a player and as a person. And we got some younger players in and, and Tim Howard came, Andy Johnson, uh, Phil Jagielka, Jolian Lescott, Leighton Baines, Tim Cale, Mikel Arteta. We had a brilliant group of players. Fellaini then joined us. And all of a sudden we had this young team. We had a new training ground and it was the best eight years, you know, because at United you think there's no life away from the club. We were cocooned in this barrier were protected by Sir Alex and everything around it. And and actually, when I went to Everton, I learned how to relax a little bit more, enjoy my football probably a little bit more because there was slightly less expectation and pressure. And I loved it. And it was a brilliant eight years of my life and one that has been a big part of, of where I am today. As someone with such high standards, yeah, I can imagine that potentially when you arrived over that first season, maybe... Maybe the training and stuff was was maybe not up to the same standard you've been used to. Did you find that difficult? The, the, the training was, I've got to say, the training was. Moyes was one of the best coaches I ever worked for on the on the grass. He was he was brilliant. His demands on the training field were were equally as good. It was Man United level. It was definitely Man United level in terms of the intensity, the demands, the expectations on the field, and that helped me a lot in that first season. That little, little things like. At United, when you lose a game, it is the worst feeling ever in the world. And and at Everton, in the first probably season, I learned that actually you just think, well, do you know what? We're going to lose a few games here. The expectations of winning every single game. We had to win every single game at United. At Everton, you want to win every game, but that's not the expectation. So you, you became sort of like you became sort of like a bit more grounded on 
defeats was like, okay, let's concentrate on the next one. That, that taught me a lot in terms of sort of like getting over defeats because it was hard at United. And then the disappointments probably were at the end of the season, the emptiness of not winning things, the emptiness of not challenged for league titles was difficult. Seeing seeing everybody else challenging for things was difficult, but actually the hunger and trying to get into a Champions League place and trying competing with the top four became an obsession for me. And, you know, uh, and David Moyes had the same kind of obsession. Then he brought young players in that had so much hunger. We fostered a spirit that was similar to United, I've got to say, the spirit with them young players and me as captain was, was equally, uh, it, was, it was fantastic. I loved it. Do you think a lot of that stemmed from you and your leadership? And what you'd been used to? <laughs> no, well, I, I, as captain, I wanted to obviously imp- implement a lot of things at Everton. You know that winning mentality of, and it was the little things that being on time for training, going into the gym before training, being out onto the training field, the intensity of never ever relaxing on the training field is one thing that boys really wanted me to implement. And then, and then when you get a group of players that then buy into that it, it was just it felt electric mm. and that's what we had at United we had never one training session where we took it easy never one training session where we were allowed to drop standards and in the first probably two seasons at Everton I think I wasn't liked a lot because of the fact that every single day had to be perfect every single day when you went out to that training field had to be a masterclass of world-class training elite level training and that was what that was like the Roy Keane that I learned, you know, that standard every single day. And there were some days they'd say, oh, Nev, will you relax? Nev, sh- Nev, give it a rest. Did you find that difficult, Phil? Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible because they, they thought it was an act. They thought it was some, it, they thought I was being teacher's pet, you know, brown nosed boy and all this business. Yeah. And I was like, no, actually, this is actually what we did every single day at Manchester United. Every single player was like this at Manchester United. So, we used to go out early, Maisie. Do you remember five minutes before yeah, training, yeah, 10 minutes, yeah. just do passing? Yeah. I, I did that at Everton at the start and people with thought nobody. that I was just doing... <laughs> with nobody. And, and, I used, and I used to do it like... And people say, oh, you're only doing that to impress the boss. You're only doing that because you're a lickass. You're only doing that because because it's just an act. And then actually 12 months later, actually that was just what I did. Yeah. And, and and then all of a sudden, three people came out, four people came out. And then I... I, I then everyone used to go out early practicing. It was just like a culture building. and uh, But it was difficult because everyone used to think I was a bit of a teacher's pet, Maisie, you know? No, no <laughs> Phil, I, I, I get that. But when I was when I left United and went to Berlin for that year, yeah. it was very similar to that. You know you're not going to be challenging for titles and, and winning every game. And I found it really difficult yeah. because they didn't have the same drive as me. Yeah. And it's like, you know, they'll have to be getting faced on the back of the bus coming home yeah. having got beat and I'm thinking where's your professionalism where's your I know Maybe it was the other way because I sort of like got dragged down into their level because it became a point where I thought but if you're not all arsed I can't be asked. you can't beat them join them yeah thing. yeah, yeah. I, I remember coming off after uh, my, one of my first early games and we'd lost the game somebody came in the dressing room and high five someone and I was like, what the f***? Yeah. And you know, like, you, you come in a gate after United, you'd either be fighting, yeah. you'd either be rowing, arguing, arguing yeah. or the dressing room would be like, absolute silent. Everyone had in their hands and they came in and go, oh, lucky, great game, well done, great game. I was like, shut that. <laughs> yeah. We've lost the game. Yeah. And then what happens is you probably soften a little bit and think, well, do you know what? This is a different situation. This is what I'm used to. Yeah. And then you probably try a little bit and it took a little bit of time. And then you probably realize that actually I've, I've got to change my ways a little bit here. And there are things that 
I learned that actually were really important. David Moyes took us. We'd not won a game for eight, uh, in in my, we'd not won many games. He took us up to the Lake District, and we didn't touch a ball for two days. And I was like, we've, we've, we've got to become better at football here. And then all of a sudden, we then he then took us out at night, and we all had to sing a song. And I was like, I'm not singing. I'm not singing a song. <laughs> and then at the end of the night, I got up singing because I thought you've got to buy into some kind of spirit here. And and then we went at the the the, the, the game after that. We we beat Chelsea, and I thought. Do you know what? There's there's more than one way to skin a cat here. Yeah. And this is another way I'm learning. And what did you sing? I was just gonna say, you have to tell us. <laughs> I, I, I sung Hey Jude. June. And I was I was I was that nervous. I, I drunk. Me and Simon Davis, who who played for Fulham, we were that nervous. We were the new signings, and Kilban got up and sung a song. All the old old players used to get up and sing songs and have a laugh. And they all kept saying, singing my name, and I would say, no, I'm not getting up. And then the kit man, Jimmy Martin, <laughs> said, you've got to get up here. You've got to become one of us. So I got a bottle of wine. I downed a bottle of Pinot Grigio. Literally, you know me, Maisie, I'm, I'm not a drinker. Oh, my I'm God. That's shocking. Literally, shocking. I downed it. And, and I used it as a microphone, <laughs> and, I, and I banged it on the desk, and the, the, the wine bottle smashed in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole place erupted. I got, you know, and everyone laughed. The next day we had to go on a, I think it was like a mountain run in the lakes. And literally, amazing, I was a mile behind everybody else because I, I was I was sick. <laughs> and literally, as I was running in, I was running in, everybody was waiting for me. They clapped and plodded me in and all in went. You play for Man United, and, and, and it was it was the time when I got accepted in the group. You know Brilliant. what I mean? So uh, it, it was a special moment, really. Well, it's a, here's a moment that's um, special. Um, this is a life 2000... story, this isn't it? This Sorry, is Phil. Not long We're nearly now, done. Not long now. Nearly done. <laughs> is my class ball going to come out? <laughs> Have a cup of tea in a bit. <laughs> 2007. United are chasing the Premier League trophy. They play Everton, Goodison Park. Everton take an early two-goal lead. The internet's broke. The, the internet's broke, yeah. <laughs> Out of nowhere, there's a flurry of goals and people are singing, Phil Neville is a red, he ate Scousers because he's just scored for Manchester United. <laughs> yeah. Was there a part of you that was delighted? Because after that, United went no. on to win the league. No, no, I wasn't. No. And, I, and I was devastated because that, that was the thing that the... They always used to label at me. Uh, I was a mank. I was a mank. I was a mank. And and uh, you know, the, the the day I tackled Ronaldo, when I when when yeah, I, yeah. I did a really bad tackle on Ronaldo, they they, they changed their opinions on me because I went against the club that they thought I loved. And and that day when it, it was a free cone goal, and I, I never forget one of the Everton players looking at me, looked at me as if to say, did you know, in a way, and I and I and I honestly I snapped. And and to be fair, Scolzi, Scolzi. Uh, Archie had said, he, 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 he said, I know you're a Man United fan, mate, but that's taking it a bit <laughs> as we was walking back to the centre circle. And literally, he was like, you know, but that was the fun we had, but literally, I hated it. I hated playing against United. Uh, I hated everything about it. Uh, I just wanted that game done and dusted. And that was, that was a... Uh, do you know the tackle on Ronaldo? Yeah. Did you actually try and do him? Well... Because it was a nasty... T- I mean, we all get nasty moments in games and stuff, but did you just think... I'm going to smash you here. Well, Macy, do you know you get them, them moments where you think, oh, I've got you here. I can I can do go both. through you and win the ball. Yeah. yeah, I could. And that was the moment I thought, wow, it was like it was like a tapping. Is this a goal or the tackle? The, <laughs> the tackle. <laughs> and then and then Giggsy and Fletch, yeah. two of my mates, and Rio came towards me and effing and blinding and, and saying I'm going to smash. And I was like, wow, guys, I've won the ball there. And I was just walking away. 
and not one Everton player came and helped me. Not one. And <laughs> I, up, I yeah. was like, come on. <laughs> and, and it was funny because like, obviously after the game, like, like Giggsy said, I would have done the same thing, yeah. you know, and, and I said to Giggsy, I would have chased you down as well if you'd have tackled one of our players like that. Yeah. It was just one of those things. Absolutely. And Ronaldo, Ronaldo was absolutely brilliant. He obviously rolled around and then the ball went up the other end and I was playing right back. He was left wing and he just, he just like high-fived and winked at me and said, great tackle. I'd have done the same. It, it was like, uh-huh. it was just, yeah. it was great. It was great. And Ronaldo was, was brilliant. Obviously, you had a great time at Everton, great eight years, great 10 years at Man United as well. What was it like for you coming back, kind of full circle with David Moyes at United? It, it, it was the best and worst period, worst time, because, well, you know, I, I, he, he obviously invited me back to be one of the coaches, me, uh, me and Ryan. And you think, the only thing in your head that you think is, is that we want to continue the dynasty. You know, you think you're going to be there a long time. You think you're going to be, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson, 20 odd years of unparalleled success. The club traditionally stand by the managers. You think, well, do you know what? David Moyes has signed a five-year contract here. We're going to be here a long time and we're going to have success. But I don't think I probably realised, anyone probably realised the effect that that Sir Alex leaving and what would happen with the next person going in that would have on the whole club. The whole club relaxed a little bit, lost that little bit of edge and intensity and probably thought it was just going to run seamlessly. I probably forgot actually what it takes to actually win. The, the, the main thing that Sir Alex taught the whole of that football club for the previous 26, 27 years was that you had to work your absolute goddamn hardest and that you had to earn everything that came your way. And I think once he left, there was a big come down. There was a big relax. People probably cut a few corners here and there and saying players, staff, the whole organisation and stopped doing the things that actually made us successful, which was working their absolute tripod. And uh, it was a difficult 10 months, absolutely difficult to see a friend in David Moyes suffer, suffer and suffer mm-hmm. badly uh, in terms of sort of like results and, and, and everything aimed at him. I thought the media towards him was an absolute disgrace. It was almost as if he was the he was there to be shot at. It was a punch bag for everyone. It was an easy shot. It was a you know and 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 obviously the lack of performance on the pitch was was equally as bad. And, and to, I think we finished in seventh that year. And obviously David Moyes got sacked, which was a low moment. He brought me in. He stood by me. He was a friend, and he trusted me. And then, and then Ryan took over for, for for those four games. But even when Ryan took over for the four games, that feeling I had in my belly wasn't right. The feeling that this doesn't doesn't smell right here. The spirit, the togetherness of the whole club, and 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 I'm sure Maisie will back you up. This the spirit of Manchester United is not just the players; it's the staff in the building as yeah. well. And and the spirit within the staff and the players and the whole club something wasn't right something wasn't right for me I'd, I'd been there I'd seen it I'd experienced it and I think it was the effect of everyone just relaxing taking the foot off the gas just maybe cutting a few corners taking for granted actually what it takes to win and the minute that you do that as we've found over the last seven years it takes an hell of a long time to get back up there and I'd say that Ollie is now getting that spirit back people talk about the players and ability and technique and all that rubbish the main thing that made Sir Alex Ferguson's teams was the, was the spirit and the culture within the club, a fight, togetherness, uh, enjoying yeah. themselves. And, and that, that, went, that has gone for the last seven years. And that, I don't think, has been 
all the manager's faults that's coming. I think that is a collective thing with the whole club. And and I think I think now what Ollie's doing is getting he's getting the fundamentals back into that football club that's needed. And that 10 months under David Moyes, I learned an incredible amount uh, as a coach. I learned I learned and I saw a manager cope with pressure. Uh, deal with pressure, deal with players that weren't playing well, that weren't that were probably coming to their end of their careers, and and that was a great learning experience for me. But ultimately, that sickly feeling in the belly was as a Manchester United supporter, we we failed because we didn't win games of football, and 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 it was a difficult period, and and one that I learned the most, but probably was one of my most disappointing periods in football because I think of the way that it all went. Mm. Phil, we are running out of time. You'll be glad to know, only because Maisie's going to play golf soon. Maisie's <laughs> bored. Now he's bored. <laughs> yeah, Ellen. Ellen's got some on, hasn't she? She's got. She's got a Pilates. Yeah, Listen, I'm she? fine. Everybody's got my kids. I'm here all day. <laughs> right, Fizz. We, we have got. We have only got a couple of minutes left because obviously, you know, time's short, and you need to go and do your Pilates as well. Um, one thing we always do on here, Fizz, is always ask. Yeah. Hang on. Is that it? Huh? Are you just calling it? No, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm doing what Sam does. No, listen. What about the last six years of his life? Uh, he's all right, he's fine. I mean, I mean. It's gone well the last few years. No, Fizz, just, just, just to finish off. Them. We'll erase them, Ellen. Should we no. be and you stay on, Ellen? One question I want to ask you, Phil, is name your six-a-side team from the players you played with at United. Michael. Yeah. Sam. Gary. Keen, Gaz. Uh, actually, just let me have a look at that. Oh, you have to look after your own. You have to look after your own. I agree with that. Yeah, can do Six, all. Did you say amazing? Six, yeah. So, it's Michael, Skulls, Ronaldo, Giggs, Keen. That's it. Skulls, Ronaldo, Giggs, Keen, Michael. One more. Yeah. 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 We did, uh, I'm sure you won't remember this, Phil, but I was at the uh, world premiere of the class of 92. All right, Sam. Well, I was, I was working there and uh, I, I was asking each of you Ooh, if you friends. could pick a five-a-side team from the six of you, who would you pick? And I think you and Paul Scholes did the same thing, which was genius. What, leave me out? No, no, you, <laughs> you, you listed a five-a-side team, but you just said Neville. So you said... Neville, oh, but yeah, yeah. Giggs, Skulls, Beckham. Yeah. <laughs> the only one that got confused was David Beckham, who said, well, all of us. And I was like, yeah, but there's too many. And he was like, yeah, we, we, we're a team. He just couldn't, couldn't get Come six to five. All right, Sam, enough of you and your premieres. Great, that, Sam. Are, are we still recording here, guys? Or is it <laughs> yes. just a chat? Is it just a chat? <laughs> what's just a chat? <laughs> Tasca, what's going on? We'll start to wrap up then. Let's wrap up. I don't want to be responsible for Maisie not playing his golf. So, uh, Sam, you wrap up. <laughs> no, I, I t- I'll tell you what I can do. I can say, Phil, it's been a pleasure being with you and you two can carry it on. And then we just edit it. <laughs> we had uh, we had Amy Turner on um, a few weeks ago and it's so nice to talk to people from the women's game. How yeah. have you? How have your experiences in it been? And Because obviously you've, you've got totally different experiences to her, for example, who's been in it her whole life. And... How have you seen the game growing and what do you imagine the future is for the women's game? Well, I mean, you're talking to Amy, Casey Stoney, the girls at Manchester United. I'd probably be quite lucky. I've come in at a time when the game's gone sort of like real, like a boom. uh, And we're getting probably lots of things now in the women's game that we've never had before. So Amy and Abby McManus and, and, you know, Abby in my first camp, uh, obviously United player, stood up and normally you sing the song and, and, and what they do, what we do in the England team, 
we we tell them to tell us about their journey, their life story, and, and obviously it doesn't last an hour and thirty five minutes like this interview, but it's about <laughs> twenty minute period. Uh, and she t- she told us about the obstacles and uh, that's been in her way and and the challenges that she's had, and it's absolutely frightening what girl footballers have been through. Absolutely disgusting at times, and and I've been lucky that I've come in and. And and the one thing that I said was is that I wasn't going to accept anything other than the standards that I think men male footballers get, or the standards that I've probably been involved in in my life. So so we've 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 put real pressure on organisations and clubs to provide now for women's footballers, and I think I think it's great what's happening. You look you look at the society nowadays. There's better opportunities for females, uh, for for black people. Uh, and I think it's got to be that way. You know, we're having a massive movement on the BLM at this moment in time, but we mustn't forget that for the last six months, women's sport has been put on hold. Not one women's sport has been played. And I think that still shows that there's a long way to go. There's mm. still people yeah. in organisations, in UK governments, in the government itself, where unless we have diversity and representation of 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 female and of black people then we're never going to get full opportunities for everyone so so for the last six months there's been no female sport on the tv how can that in this day and age happen so the fight goes on uh i've been proud that i've i've, I've took uh, the decision to be in women's sport and and i've seen the obstacles until you're in it you don't really you might think from the outside oh it's okay they're, they're playing a game at Wembley or just let them get on with it but actually it's difficult and the fight must go on. And, and it's great now that, and I always think it back to punditry. When we when we see female pundits on the television at Premier League games, the first reaction at the start is probably one of negativity, one of abuse, one of what's she doing? She's never played at that level. But actually now, 12, 18 months further on, it's actually quite accepted. Actually, it's quite the norm. And that's what, that's what females want. They just want it to be normal. They don't just want women's football, male football. They want, it's just football. And, and uh, I, think, I think we're making great strides, but I think there's still a long way to go. It's beautifully said. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Phil. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Take care, Paul. Good luck, mate. See you, matey. Bye-bye. And that was Phil Neville. Phil's great. Guys, I really enjoyed that one. I was really good. I knew I would whenever we eventually got him. And that that conversation could have actually gone on for another two hours. I'm not sure how happy he would have been about that. In fact, Maisie, I think he <laughs> saved him with his golf. Yeah. When I told him it was going to be a life story, I don't think he anticipated it to be that in-depth. <laughs> no. Well, it's, it's his life. He should have known. How, how was your golf, actually? Sorry, Maisie. Oh, JCB course. What a course. Good. Phenomenal. You had a Wes, didn't you? Yeah, I did it with Wes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that was really? a dog's fighting. Yeah. I did play with Wes and I played with Rod Thornley and um, Hannah Davis, who Wes knows, she's a golf pro. So uh, it was Hannah and Wes and me and Rod. And um, we took them down the 18th and Wes managed to scrape a putt just to make a draw. So, but fantastic course. Did Rod cycle there by any chance? <laughs> no, because Ben has got the bike now. Oh, yeah. I actually asked Ben last time I seen him, he's like, yeah, I've got the bike, I've been out on it. Well, for a hundred quid, he should be. Yeah. yeah. I love the story about it, where his nickname came from, that it was just a bus driver who just called him Fizzle. Fizzle, Fizzle. That's quite like... Just like how you got yours, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Someone says a name, then it sticks. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's great timing. That was brilliant. Do you know what one of my favourite stories was? Like, obviously, all the football stuff was brilliant, but 
when he said he really wanted to impress Scolesy as his roommate, and so he brought the wine gums. I absolutely <laughs> loved that. It was so funny. Oh, brilliant. All the Scolesy's best friends know he hates wine gums. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just think their family is so inspirational. Like, they're so enthusiastic, and they just make you want to get up and... I don't know, be an international yeah. athlete at some point. Yeah, yeah, they are just sport billies, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I'm glad my dad never decided to wake me up at like 6.30 on a day when he knew I didn't have a purpose to get up. I'm quite happy with that approach. No, see, I love that. I love that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, just for me. No, but you like to lie in bed till 10. Yeah. Oh, if I've got to get up for something, sure. If I haven't, whew. Simon likes to lay until 10. Sam gets up for work. <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant podcast. I really enjoyed that one. We'll have yeah. to get Gary yeah. next. Excellent. I can't believe we didn't even ask him about that. Why did we not ask that? Because we were in such a rush. No, we didn't. <gasps> no, because we, we usually ask who we should get who, for the podcast, yes. but Maisie just started asking. We always ask <laughs> And then did a five-a-side team or something. Yeah. 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 Which is six-a-side team. I know. We're running out of time. Maisie just throws in a whole new 20-minute feature at the end of the podcast. Well, listen, it's all about versatility. It's about changing from different angles, you know? What? Do you know what you're talking about? Yeah, we've got to... we've got the funniest thing is? We haven't even spoken about this. That was so funny. It was like, this is what we always do at the end of the podcast. Do you know why? I've got to be... <laughs> I got it mixed up from the, the from, I've just realised I got it mixed up from the the morning shows what we have with the stew the morning chats oh, the right. stew are always asked the guest oh god I was oh. like where has he picked this from <laughs> so funny I'm sure me and Tasker just looked at each other and we were like oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you're the one who wants to go you're the one who wants to go play golf and you're asking him for a five aside team <laughs> six aside uh, well, anyway, I'm sure he would have recommended Gary Neville. Yeah, he would. If we had have asked yeah, him. Didn't he? So, Gaz, yeah. come on. Yeah. Get on board, Gaz. I'll tweet him. So, we had Phil. Where are you, Gary? Yeah. That'll make all the difference. My cheeks are hurting. Nice, you're hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Every time oh. I think of it, sorry, it really makes me laugh. <laughs> Just like we always do this, always. <laughs> We've never not done it. And it's always at the end, which is perfect, because it's a nice quick one. So just before you go, and thank you for coming on, <laughs> the six aside team starting in goal, talk us through it. <laughs> so it requires so much thought and effort. <laughs> Tasker, please could you put out on our 50th show an extra bonus special about takes? We should. We should. Like at Christmas. To be honest, mate, they're not outtakes. I leave them all in. So Yeah, we can't leave that whole conversation now. Right, let's do some emails. Arnold Hernandez, who this is brilliant, in brackets, Arneasy. Hey guys, my name is Arnold from Brentwood, Long Island, New York. I've been a United fan since 2006 when I was only 13 years young. I love this football club and have it tattooed on me. I can't wait to finish my whole sleeve with Old Trafford and the statue of Bess, Lauren Cholton, and of course, one with Sir Alex. Started listening since the second episode aired. Loved every single episode. Mondays never suck anymore because of the podcast. My favourite has to be with Mr. RVP. Listening to him made me so happy. Love the podcast. Keep up the good work, guys. Uh, guys, much love. Arnold, a.k.a. Arneasy. Arneasy, I love that. Arneasy. Okay, one more. Hi there. I just thought I'd email and tell you guys how much these podcasts have helped me get through working from home every day. I really enjoyed Robin's podcast. What an absolutely unbelievable player he was. And see 
seems like such a lovely guy as well. I was there when he scored that goal against City at the Etihad. I was only 13 at the time and I don't think I could talk for a week afterwards. If my voice wasn't breaking before that game, I'm pretty sure 100% it broke that week. I would really love to hear my favourite ever player on the pods, if possible. Wayne Mooney on here. I'd love to hear from him on your pods. Keep up the good work and take care, guys. And that one is from Aaron Whiteside. Thank you, Aaron. Oh, Rooney on the podcast would be amazing. Definitely. That would be good. Get his six aside team. Um, <laughs> well, we'll end it there then. That's it for another episode of the Manchester United podcast. We'll be back with another fascinating United guest next week. In the meantime, a reminder, you can watch the box sets of the United podcast in full on MUTV with a brand new episode airing every Friday. And as always, we'd love it if you could rate us and leave a review. Uh, don't forget, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tweet it to David May, he will personally reply. Isn't that right, Maisie? Thanks a lot, Sam. You're very welcome. Uh, right, we'll talk to you all next week. Bye. It's what it says in the notes. I'm just reading the notes. Tasker, f- off. It, that means like it's like fifty thousand f- replies you can f- write off. I'm off Twitter. Yeah.